you go from going, I can't believe we've got a TV show, all the massive anxiety every week of trying to put something to air, getting judged, the like experiencing commercial ratings for the first time, and then getting told the words of like, we're, we're cutting the show, like we're axing it. And I think I think what it did for us a little bit was remove the the boogeyman of failure. It's the thing that stops people getting up in the first place because they're like, well, you know, what if I fail? And the truth of the matter is you are going to fail lots. And then after a while, you won't. And welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. Today, we are sitting down with the incredible Hamish Blake, a comedian and writer and, of course, one half of Australia's most iconic radio and podcasting duos, Hamish and Andy. Hamish is Australia's funniest person, yes, but he's so much more than that too. Behind the scenes, he's an incredibly supportive and kind person in the industry who's very generous with his time. He's a switched-on business person and, of course, he's a father of two. In this chat, we explore the career failures that came his way in his 20s, his best friendship and chemistry with Andy Lee, and why fatherhood brings him so much joy and fulfillment. Here's Hamish. Hamish Blake, welcome to Shameless in Conversation. We are delighted to have you here. It is an honour to make my first um, my first appearance. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> hey, how are you doing, Hamish? I mean, it's a pretty weird time in Melbourne right now. I think we're going to be locked down for the next 1,100 years. How are you doing through it all? Look, I mean, I can't complain. I mean, I think I probably just feel the same way everyone else does. Like, it's a bit of a deep sigh. But I also, you know, I, I, I'm just aware that I'm lucky and we're like, I just know a lot of people doing it rougher. So... I don't know. I'm that, I'm a, I think I'm a mix of like completely understanding the just group exhale that everyone made when <laughs> Dan was like, sorry, guys, you know, I did tell you that if you didn't mow the lawns, you can't go to Sam's party. You didn't mow the lawns. <laughs> you don't go to Sam's party. Uh, um, which, and I was like, 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 it's not like he's having all the fun in the world either. Like, he's got a very tough job trying to manage this whole thing. So, mm-hmm. I get it. Like, it just, it just is what it is. It sucks. Like, it's just, there's no like secret thing we could do to make it suddenly not suck. But, you know, having said that, we're at home. Like, we got cute kids. Homeschooling is a bit crazy, but it's really fun too. And there's just, you know, we're lucky we got patches of fun. Like, I, I, my heart does go out to people that. Mm-hmm would have a much tougher struggle on their hands, either A, because they're actually sick and, like, let's not forget, you definitely don't want to have corona because that doesn't sound like a fun thing to have, or the B, people that are, like, living alone and, and struggling a lot more with the mental health side of things. So all in all, you know, I'm, I feel very blessed that, like, we're up the end of the spectrum where it's a nuisance, but it's not yeah. dev- it's not devastating. It's just something that has to be handled. Yeah, for sure. What are you filling your downtime with? We ask everyone who comes on this podcast, what are you reading, watching or listening to? Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but my I feel like my brain... This is the thing. This is I think everyone feels this lockdown. You know, you, you just like, you know, days merging. You don't know what day it yeah. is. You just... Your brain, my brain's gone a bit sludgy, I think. And <laughs> it's this weird 
mix of like, then I like let my brain off the leash for a bit of a run and the stuff that it does is, you know, I'll give you, an, I'm in my office, I'm at my like nook, my desk here in the house, but even this, I was like, I just get obsessed. Basically, what am I spending my time with? I would just get obsessed with something for a day and then I'll get like it. What? I'm going to show you rather than tell you, and you will laugh. <laughs> I'm scared. I don't I know. If, is this reversed? It is. Easy pickings. What is that? Lock A self picking. teaching manual to the technological something of lock picking. <laughs> the technique of lock picking. So, who are you I just, No one. I was just reading about lock picking, and then I realized it's, you can buy all these lock picking tools, and it's like a book where you can pick locks, and it comes with this, like a clear glass padlock so you learn you can like see all the bits moving inside as you're teaching yourself how to lock so honestly to answer your question i am at home you're about uh, to rob a bank <laughs> no I, I, I'm, I'm i'm i am trapped i'm a hostage to the impulses of my mind and then i'll get them today and then i'll buy something <laughs> like easy piggings and then for some reason i'm just not feeling the same pull that i felt to it when i was looking at it online and i've even written down on my to-do list for today which isn't that long learn lock picking like i'm like come on you bought the set <laughs> do the lesson that's it apart is from any- that we're just chewing through tv just ferociously <laughs> is any part of this you know you you see a book called easy pickings or whatever it's called and you think this is interesting but also this could be good content like is, is does your brain operate like that or do you kind of go to the interesting thing first and that naturally makes good content i think i'm just I've, over the years i've just been led by my my, my brain this doesn't make good content because well my brain tricks me into thinking it would make good content because here's here's what my brain would do. It would go, hey, or whatever. Like I just assume the part of my brain that makes me do these things talks like this, you know, <laughs> guy in an alley that you weren't expecting to walk past on your way home with the shopping <laughs> at like 8 o'clock on a rainy night. And my brain goes, hey, 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 get, you should get this and it will be great. And you'll be, wouldn't it be awesome to know how to pick locks? And then for the podcast, as a funny thing to do, just go in, pick into Andy's house. Just go in like at five in the morning and just get get in and record him, and that will you know scare the shit out of him. And then that will be really that will be hilarious. And then I go, yeah, you're right. Actually, I would like to learn how to pick locks. And then that sounds like a really <laughs> funny thing to do. But the problem is, the guy that sells these ideas to me, he forgets to tell me that when I get this, I'll stop caring about this. I'm not going to learn how to pick locks. Like he's sold. It's only good content if I actually commit to like the six hours it's going to take me to master lock picking, which I can. <laughs> I don't know or if I'm like, going to. The likelihood of Andy Lee having a padlock on his front door pretty low. True, but the, but he's. <laughs> I know. I've checked. I've scoped out the lock. It is. It's pickable. Like I don't want this to become <laughs> a whole. I don't want this. Well, you know, to become a for thing anyone listening, the, the, people listening to the Shameless podcast are like, oh, it's like a thing now. It's like an in joke that we go and. We break into Andy's house. It's just, just it's for me. It's for my private. It's this is my private mission only. But I feel like I feel like I could still get him. But again, it's going to take a few hours to learn lock picking. But just like everyone picking up a hobby in lockdown, like what we definitely have time. That's the annoying thing about this sludge. We have the time. We're just it's just hard to stay productive because I was like, that's it. Yeah, learning Italian. Lockdown one, I was going to learn Italian. I was like that. Is going to happen because it is. A, there's a there's a course you can download that's just a, like an audio book. You listen to it. I think his name is Michel Thomas. Is a French guy, and he's done like every language. And it's it's like the Suzuki method for kids that were ever forced to learn piano, where you like don't have to read music. <laughs> you just listen to the music, and that was like what I did as a kid. 
and it's this is the same thing like you don't have to write stuff down you don't have to do vocab or like homework you're meant to just listen and say these phrases back with the teacher and, and in 10 i've had a mate that's gone like in 10 hours you will be able to speak conversational italian and <laughs> that was my goal for lockdown one and then give us one sentence do you know anything uh no as possible for spanish is not possible um <laughs> the, spanish one, the spanish one stuck a lot more than the italian one stuck because i've listened to the first 10 minutes and you just go oh man i don't have 10 hours you think and but you do you do have 10 hours because you just look at you look at your screen time every day on my iphone it tells me you only have over four hours and then i turn around and i'm like <laughs> Where am I going to find 10 hours across my entire life when I'm spending 28 hours a week looking at that little rectangle of junk? <sighs> Fuck. Yeah, that's basically it. That's that. That mesh, That's my real voice inside me responding to <laughs> this other voice that's pestering me all day to fill my day with nonsense. My real voice is just there going, Fuck, when will you stop listening to this other voice and get on with some useful work? <laughs> I want to know, were you always like this? Like, has your mind always kind of jumped from thing to thing? As a kid, how would you have described yourself? Good question. I think I probably have always had this kind of a brain. In fact, in like, I've probably learned to harness it a little bit more because honestly, in meetings and things like that, like when we back with, with our radio show days where we would spend a lot more time in meetings, you'd have to, you know, we'd have like an hour long meeting a day. And it became a thing where I, like Andy understands this, but it's a difficult thing to explain to people. I need to be distracted to pay attention, if that makes sense. Like I would need to be looking at something online or drawing or whatever to be to, to pay attention because otherwise if I'm forced to just just pay attention, I find it, you know, like a crippling lead. Yeah, it just doesn't work. My brain—it's it's a weird thing. My brain needs to be distracted a little bit to then jump in to do whatever it is I'm there to do. I want to know, and this is probably the world's worst question to ask, like a comedian. But did you always know you were funny? Like, at what point in your life and your childhood did you think I can actually make people laugh here? Like, this is a thing I can do. I think. I mean, I always love—I always liked comedy. Without it, like, I didn't really prescribe it to a thing that came from me. But I, you know, I just was in like intoxicated by the idea whether it was like through books or you know even like early cartoons or stand-up and stuff like for my generation you would see like the stand-up on hey hey it's saturday just the idea that someone could you know that could that could do that because i i just i think i just enjoyed the you know the generating of laughs but it was it probably wasn't until you know you get to be much older like i suppose in your teenage years well you it probably starts out about just like being a smart ass and then, you know, then you hope and you hope it matures from there, but maybe it hasn't. But the, <laughs> I guess that's like your first inkling of going, oh, okay, and 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 kind of enjoying that like mental um, puzzle, I guess, of going, what's a fun mm-hmm. way to solve this um, in this immediate thing, or you know, this like this, what's a fun way to solve this moment in an unexpected way that could make people laugh? Mm-hmm. I suppose. I suppose I remember having that feeling like around, you know, your teenage years when, I suppose it's when you, like now that I'm thinking about it, you, it's when you make adults laugh that I reckon you start to go like, yeah. all right, that was different. Because you can all make, you know, when you're eight, you can make your friends laugh, you just be a dickhead. But then it's sort of like, I think you remember that time when you are a teenager where you can make adults laugh. It's sort of like, 
that's a high bar to jump for a teenager. So <laughs> you, remember, you, you remember those moments. Let's talk about you being a teenager. You said on an interview with Willosophy, I was agitated to get on with life, but I was paralyzed by fear. What did you oh. mean by that as a teenager being paralyzed with fear? Good stenographer reading of the Willosophy <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Feels like a deposition. <laughs> yeah, that's a great. I do remember having this conversation with Will, and I'm glad this is good because the fun thing about philosophy, and I suppose about this kind of conversation too, is you're not you're not really thinking you're going to talk about these things, and then you kind of stumble through it for the first time, and then it's like two days later where you're like, I probably have said that a lot more succinctly. <laughs> where I think that feeling of being agitated to get on with life. It's that thing where you sort of, you knew, you know, let's say, for example, if you're someone that's like, all right, I, I want to go on adventures. I want to, I want to, I want to bust out of the, the sort of the prescribed mold that, that I can feel has been laid out before me. So you, you, you can, it's the beginning of hearing that voice or the beginning of feeling that pull, but they're not hot on its heels because you're like 14, insecure, and we just hit puberty, which is quite quite late. You react with all these reasons why your brain is sort of saying to you, but just, well, you shouldn't do this. Like, what if you get, you know, all the normal teenage stuff, like, what if you get made fun of? Like, all the reasons to kind of stop you from taking that that leap of faith. So I suppose it was that, you know, you could, I could begin to feel those feelings of going, well, what if you didn't do what you thought you were meant to do? And really just that, you know, you just started to listen to your own, desires or your own impulses or your own passions but then everyone has that voice or I did when I was a teenager I think it's a common thing to have that voice of going you know don't do this but what if you know what fails what if you look silly what are you thinking you can't go on an adventure don't think about that just do the safe thing like just get you know a lot of that that's thinking of like just get these few next predictable things done and then maybe do something else so that's the fear the fear of like you know of, of living riskily I suppose taking that kind of you know taking a taking a leap, and then you look back and you realize like sometimes it takes years and years and years to do something that seems very simple, like just yeah. you know, just doing the thing that you want to do, or just having the courage to explore your passions or something that feeds your soul a bit more rather than what you think you're meant to do. And then when you become an adult, to some extent, you look back and you're like, oh my god, why don't I just do the thing that I knew that would make me happy or that was mm. sort of ca- calling me but that's that's what I'm that's I guess what I'm talking about easy in hindsight to look back but at the time you your brain's just come out with a hundred reasons why you should do you shouldn't do it and you should do something safe I want to jump ahead a bit because I want to know when did you first realize that Hamish and Andy was a thing like a thing that was really working and that it was a thing that you could probably pursue for a very long time great question because the early days of Hamish and Andy were Really, if you go like started Hamish and Andy was like, well, me and Andy met at uni and we had a lot of fun hanging out, but not, you know, there was no moment like there was no joke that we made at the uni bar where we just dropped our beers and went, this is good stuff. Like, <laughs> with this should be this should be commercialised. And there still hasn't been one of those. So it's been twenty years, and we're still looking for that, still looking for that zinger. <laughs> but it was it, it was just like a strange kind of confluence of events where we were having we were you know met each other in uni. We just basically had fun mucking around and had an interesting comedy. Like I was starting to just like want to do stand up, and Andy was like, oh, you know, I think it'd be fun to make TV. And then my best mate Ryan, I was like, well, you know, rise down the road at a different university. He's super funny. We should all do stuff together. So it was really just like exploring 
you know, what can we do? And we were making videos and sort of sketches. And this is pre-YouTube, so we weren't like a lot of outlets to do stuff. But we just started mm. making it. We just started making it before there was a place to, you know, we were just kind of making it to show our friends, really, and to... And then, and then Tim, who's another one of my mates that I went to high school with, and Dunk, one of Andy's mates, we all kind of convalesced into this fivesome that would shoot and edit and write sketches for a show that we didn't have. But that was sort of <laughs> we, we we were like a group. And then it was only because we put it on community TV. It was exactly the plot of Wayne's World. We put it on community TV, and then Channel Seven at the time were like, "Well, we have kind of a we have a current show that we want to rejig, and we want some new people for it." like a comedy show and, and we, you know, all you guys should just come in and audition. And they randomly, like, honestly, the start of Hamish and Andy was like, they randomly assigned, okay, well, Hamish and Andy, you guys come as a pair and Duncan and Ryan, you come as a pair. Could have just easily been the other way around. And, and they wanted mm. duos. And so they just gave us a script that was like a two-hander and then same with the other guys. And, and so they really just kind of started from there where they're like, oh, okay, you guys seem to work okay together. And then it just became a thing that on that show we would do stuff in the studio together. And then just really through that period, it kind of exactly at the same time, we went to radio as well. And when I was working at a radio station behind the scenes and we're like, can we just have any slot? And so we did 10 till midnight on a Monday night and just started as Hamish and Andy. So it was a kind of a, it, it really was a bit of a random thing and it was probably the people there in the production company and Channel 7 that more were like, no, 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 this works, this is the thing. Because we're, like, you know, any, we were 21. So, like, anyone who's 20, 21 doing comedy, you'd finish and be like, I don't know, was that anything? Because <laughs> you, you, don't, you, you don't know about TV. Or, you know, we were like, is this count as TV or is this terrible? What is this? And then that people would go, no, that's good, that worked. Or, you know, often, no, that's not really working. But when you'd have someone, like, higher up going, yeah, great, we want to put it on TV, you'd be like, all right, well, I guess there's something here because we want to put it on. So I think it was kind of we were maybe more pulled into it rather than pushing ourselves into it in the early days. That was certainly my memory. We weren't, yeah, we weren't sort of kicking down doors going, have we got the comedy duo for you? And really, we, <laughs> the, 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 the reason I think we we fell in love with it and we kept at it was because, you know, we've always been pretty driven by the, just by the feel of something. And I think like our, me and Andy's philosophy was the same. We were like, well, we don't, we don't have any plans for this thing, but this is fun and this is a good adventure. And now that we've kind of accidentally fallen through a few of these doors, you're in this kind of weird situation where you've just leapt into a few unknowns that aren't presented very often. And so suddenly where you're in, you're not in the, you, you know, suddenly you're in part of the club that's been on TV and that doesn't mean you're good. It just means you kind of were lucky and that we're around and whatever, but mm. that's a lower proportion of people than tried out. So you're like, all right, well now we're in this club. What, what's the next adventure we could go on? And that, that's sort of, we just, I think made a pact and, and understood that we just wanted to go where the fun was and, rather than it being any sort of commercially driven opportunity. So there, and then radio definitely was that arena for us. Like it's a great, it's an awesome spot. Like you guys are discovering, like it's it's like you get to invent two hours of content every day. So it was a great place to kind of learn and hone it. Mm-hmm. What I find interesting about you guys and your story is it's easy to look back and feel like your rise was meteoric and you guys never experienced failure or setbacks. And I don't think that was the truth at all. I've like heard that the sketch show didn't work out exactly oh, that, yeah, how you would have wanted. And you, <laughs> you did have setbacks in those early days. And I want to know, like, 
how did you guys keep going? How did you guys kind of move through any self-doubt that might have arisen in the first couple of years? I mean, I think that show, the show ended up being called Hamish and Andy, which was sort of a surprise to us as well. And I mean, if if, that have, if we'd have felt like we could have protested at the time, we probably would have. But in the end, it was probably mm. a good, good thing for it to have happened because, again, you're 21, you're just getting told a lot of stuff. And I think our, yeah. our general answer to a lot of the stuff we got told during that time. And there's like, you know, there were good people around that had good intentions, but we were just learning the number one thing that you eventually learn in TV and radio and entertainment, which is the old saying, like, nobody knows anything. Everyone's just making it up, guessing, having a go. <laughs> no one knows anything. So they were like, well, we think we should call it Hamish and Andy. And we're like, oh, wow, really? But it's like not, you know, there's a lot of other people on the show and we've only just came in. But they're like, no, it's good. That's what, this is the kind of thing you do. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> this is the kind of thing you do. And I, that, well, I guess we're doing it, even though it kind of felt a bit weird to us. <laughs> so then, you know, the show, like I said, no one, there's never any guarantees, but you can kind of predict that there are some good environments to make shows and some good, some good rules to follow to make hopefully good shows and some good rules to follow to avoid. This was Possibly, probably never going to work. Like it was a bunch of different worlds jammed together. So, you know, it's a great example of you just got to find something that cohesively works rather than bursts of individual brilliance. So anyway, that didn't work. But but mm. we were twenty one, and and you get you know you get told you, you go from going I can't believe we've got a TV show, all the massive anxiety every week of trying to put something to air, getting judged, the like experiencing commercial ratings for the first time, and then getting told the words of like. We're, we're cutting the show, like we're axing it. And I think yeah. it was a great thing. To, it was, you know, it was a great thing to happen. We weren't actually even, I mean, we were like, I just, we just weren't even that surprised. Like we, we knew it was coming, but I think it's just that thing of we had each other. We, 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 we had each other and it just made it funny quicker. You know, like it just made it, no, you know, we didn't want it. We didn't want to have failed. Like we weren't trying to fail and we took it seriously. So there's that, like, there's that disappointment that's something you tried really hard at hasn't worked but all it meant was like it's just not broadly commercially successful and and you know nor did it have any right to be like things got to be good and it, there were parts that were good but there were parts that weren't good enough and but I think we learned that lesson we were just like oh well what this means is like you know you you, you panic for a second but you're like but when but like after a week life moves on and life rolls on and then people are doing other stuff mm-hmm. and like the world didn't stop the world didn't end there was a headline that said that you got axed but you know, no one you care about thought any differently of you. In fact, a lot of the people that you care about the most in the world were going through it with you and we all had a chance to kind of be good at failing and learn together and have a laugh about it and move, strong, and move through it. So I think what it did for us a little bit was remove the, the boogeyman of failure in, in yeah. the same way mm. that, you know, that people that are doing stand-up just go and, and bomb for nights on end because it removes the boogeyman of failure. It's the thing that stops people getting up in the first place because they're like, well, you know, what if I fail? And, you know, the truth of the matter is you are going to fail lots. And then after a while, you won't. And then when you do fail, you will also realise, yeah, that's just the failing bit. That's just the bit where you fail. (laughs) It doesn't doesn't feel great. But also nothing changes. Like, you know, your parents don't love you any less. Like your friends don't love you any less. No, no one that knows anything in the industry is going to think any less of you because it happens to everybody. But before you're in that experience, you imagine all those things would happen if you if you were thinking about it. So, yeah, I think what it made us 
it was an, a great experience. And that's why I'm glad our names were out there because it kind of made it an, a bit more of a harsh failure because it was mm. like, it's your name. It's not like, yo, I was on a show called like, you know, all stops to Happyville and it was a funny sitcom that no one liked. <laughs> you know, then you just, then that's just, and my character, yeah. Mitch, Mitch the train driver, people hated. It's like, oh, well, it's just a bad character and a bad show. <laughs> this was like a bit more personal because it's like Hamish and Andy was bad. This <laughs> was like the message. <laughs> and, and so you, you, for a moment, you, you know, there's that, you realise if you buy into that message, you are buying into a total fantasy because you realize you realize when that message is there it's written about or whatever it is that's coming back to you you're like well they don't actually mean you're a bad person it's just you know the show that you did wasn't funny enough to be successful as a comedy show and that's fair enough because that's the that's the game you're playing so i don't know i think that it was a great thing to go through because it just it kind of teaches you that it's a game it is a bit of a game it's one you take seriously and one we adore and we love and we we would rather you know do well you want to do well at what you do but it is not who you are. It's not really worth getting devastated to that extent. Coming up after the break, Hamish discusses why being a dad is the best job he's ever had. But first, a word from today's sponsor. I wanted to ask you about your friendship with Andy because Sam Kavanagh, your old producer who produced the show for over a decade, once told us this story that is one of my favourite stories ever. And I'd love to know first and foremost if it's true. But he he once told us that when you guys were all filming Caravan of Courage or something like that, you would live on top of each other for days on end. You would be in the smallest living confines. You would be working. You would be travelling. You'd do it for weeks. And then Sam said that on the flight home, everyone would try and get distance from each other because you've all been on top of each other. And you and Andy would just like sit next to each other and yap all the way home because you could just keep talking (laughs) about anything and you didn't need space from each other. And I found it one of the most remarkable things in the world that through that story, it appears like you really just genuinely loved each other's company and didn't need space from each other. Is the story true? And is that kind of the nature of how your relationship has functioned? Yeah, I mean, I I can't. I can't imagine it's not true because we always do sit next to each other on planes. So in that, in that, in that, in that sense, yes. And but I think I think at the heart of it, like that's what appeals to us most about Hamish and Andy. It's like we want to do it. Like we 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 want to hang out with each other and and do that stuff. And maybe that's what we sort of realised early days, and it felt normal to us because you don't, you know, it just felt like a normal friendship. But maybe as we've got older, we're like, oh, you know, we've got something a bit unique here where when we get together like to do radio to do caravan of courage or or when we're with a big team and we're making a show we just have a real simpatico i think a huge part of the appeal to both Mm. of us we both like efficiency and time saving stuff and labor saving devices love a shortcut and i think we realize that our relationship is a massive labor saving device like everything is so much easier when you're working with someone that has telepathy and simpatico with you like we can sometimes spend so much time with each other planning something and talking about something and historically we have and we're like you know you only need to get 10 percent into a sentence before the other person knows where you're going and then they leapfrog and then they only need to get 10 percent, and you leapfrog them and we get into that zone and then you go back to talk to the rest of the team and you can you have to like readjust the way that you explain things because you're not talking to people that are <laughs> but, 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 yeah, we the other 90 percent helps <laughs> Yeah, they just don't have that that kind of same gearing with you. And that and that works extremely well for like what we love doing and the adventures we love going on and, and creating the mm. kind of 
shows and content we've created. So when we're in those zones, it doesn't make any sense to us to not, we would never go, oh, that's enough from you, mate. I don't need to see you. But having said that, then outside of outside of the shows and stuff, like we do know we need space from each other to, to, to keep what we've got. Like we've learned over almost 20 years, like of course we go off and have other holidays and stuff with other people and, and, and flex other parts of our brain and different parts of our personality. And, you know, that's, that's probably when you think about the most normal part of all this because, you know, we are different human beings and everybody is a different human being than their best than their best friend. And so you you know, you've got your own identity and your own your your own person and he's his own person. But I think it makes it that that whatever that weirdness is when we come back together, that glue, it just helps make it stickier when we come back together. So yeah, that's probably very true from Sammy's perspective that we did that. If I you know, if I had to guess I'd say that we also were probably like had gone deep on some random iPhone game to try and get top. We were trying to find like a really unpopular Nokia game. This kind of tells you how long ago it was. Like often we had burner phones on the things like for like local local SIM cards. So you'd have just a burner phone for three months or three weeks, so while you're traveling around India or the UK or something, and there would always be like one game on it that we would become obsessive with about like who can, who can get the top score on this game. Love it. I want to know, what do you love about Andy, not just as your co-worker and business colleague, but also as your mate? What do you love about him? Lovely question. There is so many, there's so many things. I mean, like, obviously, super funny and and also helps me have a kind of fun that I can only have with Andy. Like that, I got a real kind of... Mm-hmm you know, and Andy fun. And I guess that's what we sort of end up doing on screen, but there's also a big part of that that's just for us that kind of happens off screen, which I also cherish as well. You know, and he taught me a lot too. He taught me, I met him when I was 19. And, you know, one of the things I love about Ando is he's a good risk taker as well. He's a fun guy to take a risk with. Like he's very sensible, which uh, teased me about a little bit. Like he's he's analytical and he won't take dumb risks, but, but he's got a great, you know, a lot of the fun things in life that I got to do were because he has maybe you know he kind of levels me out. He drags me up in terms of like like well, let's just go and try something really optimistic, and you know, <laughs> and that and, and that led to a lot of that led to a lot of fun things in life. So, and then then on a personal personal side of things, that I'd say he's an extremely loyal and and, and caring man in that sense. Like has a great knack of creating like a great uh, a, a great team or great kind of you know he's just he's actually you know had he not had we not just come and done this thing that we were doing like he probably would have just been like a good like whatever he chose to do he'd be a great leader in like people would be like yeah I enjoy being mm. on that team because it's good for morale so it just just mm-hmm. extremely buoyant has that has that effect of buoyancy. And that's that's a great fun thing. Like whether whether you want buoyancy, like just having a beer and, and having some fun, or if you're like, I want, you know, we've got this huge big project we're doing together. He's got that ability to to kind of, you know, he's a rocket ship. Mm. He's he's like a boost. He's a he's a rocket booster. <laughs> there is this saying about success and about having a public persona that goes something along the lines of, "The higher you climb, the windier it gets." I want to know if that resonates with you at all, and if you think that is true when you probably climb to the highest point in Australian mainstream media. That is a good saying. I mean, it comes with, I suppose, I suppose what that saying sort of trying to get at is like it becomes a bit more variable maybe. Like, it, you know, I suppose if you're up a windy tree, like it is going to, it's you get a bit of volatility. 
like fame is a very interesting word to use. I, I suppose there's there's kind of like a few schools of fame where you can't, you've got to decide what you're in it for. And uh, mm. and I guess, you know, there are some people that, that, that do see fame as an outcome or as a goal. That's not how I view it. But but I, if you were if you were looking at fame as a goal, I could I could see it could get very very windy the the, the harder mm. you try to be famous because I think what you would essentially be doing is losing touch with who you are, and fame is not a terrible thing. It's just a thing that has consequences and 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 costs associated with it. Mm. So we, you know, we're extremely lucky. Like this is it's always a tricky thing to say because I'm I'm super grateful for the, the lives we have the opportunities we've been given and and that comes from your audience really like i'm just eternally grateful for mm. the people that have bothered to tune in that have bothered to download things that have bothered to pay attention when they could have been paying attention to something else so the 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 awareness that right that comes from that um um is one of the most precious things i think that's ever happened because it's allowed us to have this journey and this platform and and it's given me a career like you have to i am just super grateful of the audience like that's one group of people then there's just general fame around that that means you just are known that when you walk down the street people know who you are and you don't know who they are and Mm. you know i'm really i feel really fortunate especially in australia because almost exclusively in fact very very close to 100 percent of those people are just lovely interactions they're people going hi or whatever i've listened to something i've seen something and it's just a lovely thing and you say hi and get to you know you get to meet someone you get to know who they are and it's like it's a i get energized by those kind of interactions but i think if you're someone that just wanted to be famous for the notoriety of it that would be a different thing because i, I always still feel like those people that's that's a that's a you know for me that's a really bearable pleasant like happy kind of thing because it's it's to do with mm work it's to do with my work and it's to do with my job yeah. and it's to do with the thing that i care about which is making things and being creative and, and hopefully making people laugh and hopefully trying to put something good in the world and then fame is a result it's like a it's an offshoot or it's a byproduct of getting to do this job i love but it's not the goal of getting to do the job i love i think if fame was your goal you could possibly you know you could find it a little more difficult to 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 stay in touch with who you are and what you care about. Mm. I find it interesting that you are someone who achieved so much success so young that in your 20s and your early 30s, you really built up this incredible career. And now it feels like fatherhood plays such a seminal role in your life. Can you talk to us about how much you love being a dad? I do. I adore being a dad. Happy for it to be my main job. And I guess that's why, you know, to, when we were sort of chained before about lockdown, like, you know, it's it's. I, I, I don't feel like I can complain really at all because we've, you know, we've got a lot of time to hang out with the kids and get get to be a dad. And if I had to, if I had to choose, um, if I had to, if I had to choose, I would say that would be my preferred way to spend my time. We, we've had to cancel work stuff, but again, I'm not that bummed about cancelling work stuff. I'm, I, again, mm. I feel very lucky to have the job I have and I sort of feel like any time we get to do a job is still a bit of a fluke, so cancelling it just feels like half of the course. <laughs> half of the course, like, I'm surprised we're still going. So, but, 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 but you know, but being a dad, in ter- like, you know, in terms of what I was saying before about, like, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to put into the world? Where do you want to focus your energy? You know, for me, being a dad, I can't think of a better use of my time for being a dad. For me, like it's that's I just I I adore it. So, and I'm just aware how you know it just is going. It's going fast. So you can't really slow it down, but you can you can you can be you know 
think the only antidote for that is just trying to be as present as you can. That kind of takes me very seamlessly to my next question, because I actually think I loved this so much that I asked Zoe about it on her interview with us too, because on Willosophy, you spoke about your philosophy where you spoke so beautifully about how you're obsessed with this idea of like making memories and that you said, if you would tell yourself at 80, if you, how much money would you pay to go back to this moment right now where you're in your thirties and hanging out with your kids when they're little, how much would you pay for that? And I think you say in that interview that it helps you be really present because you think you'd pay all the money in the world to come back to these moments. I want you to speak a little bit to that if you would, because I love that philosophy and I want to know how it manifests through your life. I think, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it manifests itself a lot through through my life, just in terms of going, I don't, and I'm not judging anyone that does this, but I'm like, I don't, I wouldn't look at a, a thing that took me away from the kids as like, oh, well, well, that's work, you know. It's just super important to, to I think, to for me anyway, to kind of keep in my mind. I suppose I'm, in another way of looking is like, I'm terrified of going, oh, my God, how did I not realise that that was going to be the case, that that was going to be big and that was it and you've missed it. So I'm, I'm just, I am hyper aware of, of, of that. You know, and we're all busy. Like this is, you know, there's lots and lots of parts of the day where I'm like, I'm so sorry, guys, I have to do this thing. I would love to play on the couch, but I, you know, it's, it is a balance, of course, all the time. But I think by being aware of it and by being, by being conscious every day of that idea that there will never be this little and you will never be here again. I mean, if COVID's taught us anything, surely it's that. It's like, you do not, you don't know what next year brings and there's nothing we can do about that the only thing you can really do is it forces you to pay more attention to the present because it really is the only thing that we've got like I think it's just a way of reminding yourself that this is all we've got and then when you ask everything you'll go well I can't go back and I can't go back and I can't have them little but I know I'm at least comfortable of knowing that that when they were I was there and I and I'm, I made it count I suppose and I'm I don't know. I've seen a few things in my life too where I've, I admire people who realise there's no point putting things off and I've seen evidence of a few people thinking that, oh, well, you know, I just I finished this thing and then I'll, then I'll do the thing that I want to do or whatever and I don't subscribe to that. I ferociously subscribe to the opposite of that. I ferociously subscribe to we have to do this now. We have to make memories now and we have to do the hard work to book in an annoying trip even though it means it's going to be shuffling a lot of work stuff around because when we get there we'll go why don't we do this more often and 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 that's mm-hmm. a that, that plays a big more on my mind too like i kind of have this conversation with my friends a little bit when we're trying to like plan some sort of weird adventure because i'm like it's annoying we've all got kids we're trying to get away we're trying to like spend you know four days away with each other. i know i just said i would never do anything away from my kids but you know you've got to balance it out <laughs> This God, is not, you know, you, you do you do need you do need time away from your kids, or you're going like you know let's let's all you know I'll organize a camping weekend for just you know man. Sometimes like it's a hassle. We need gear. It's going to rain. You won't sleep. All those things are true, but the the opposite is then you just didn't do it. Like the, if the alternative is like well we could do this fun adventure. We could have all the we can we have this memory forever, or the alternative is it's just another weekend. That's kind of unacceptable to me. Like that's why I like kind of putting effort into trying to make whether they're big moments or small moments whatever just something out of the ordinary happen I think it's always worth the effort because that's the stuff you can look back on and go I'm glad that I didn't just pick the easy option which was um not doing it 
So, yeah, that is mm-hmm. that is on my mind. That is on my mind a fair bit. This sounds like more of a morbid question than it is, but we tend to ask as many people as we can, and we want to know, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, that's not morbid. I think that sort of talks, I think that's sort of what we were talking about before, is like, I think it's probably healthy and sensible to be aware of just how kind of fleeting this all is because it is, like it is, it's just ferociously quick. So I, I think the the legacy that, you know, I, I suppose for anyone with kids, then there's this sort of like, how would you like your kids to remember you? And I, I guess that is, you know, if it, if it was all over for me next year, there's going to be a slightly different legacy than if hopefully it all goes to plan and it's all over when I'm about 93 and still pretty fit but just ready to go but I but I think I mean I think in a in a nutshell you'd want the legacy to be whether it was professionally or as a dad I think just trying to put something good in the world and I think someone that I think hopefully just valuing the power of joy and 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 laughter as something that we should make time for and that, that is important rather than something that we should fit in if we uh, if we have time. And I, and that's kind of a little bit of a little bit of my philosophy for part of the philosophy I have for, for parenting is, you know, when we talk about memories or even just like little moments in the backyard or on the couch or at night, it's like I, I, I put a high value on putting some effort into into moments of joy because it, it, otherwise, it is one of those things where you're like, oh, well, you know, we've got a lot of stuff on our plate and we'll just do fun things when we have time. And I don't think that should be the, the order of operations. I think you should prioritise fun and, and, and joyful things, not at the expense of, like, you know, paying rent or, like, cleaning that, you know, or having a sanitary living environment, but, you know, making space for it, making, <laughs> making time for it. Hamish, we finish every interview with the same question and I'm very interested to hear your answer because you are one of the most successful people conventionally we've had on the podcast. How do you define success in your own life? Good question. I think I think you've just got to have your own, you do have to have your own definition, don't you? Because it's like you said, I mean, whatever, conventional success, I suppose like in the industry, I mean, it's like, you know, did you get a show? Did you get another one did you, or whatever, whatever it is? Or did you get this gig or that gig? I think a big part of success is knowing what you what you're after, knowing what you want to get out of something, and then then you will know if you got it. I think we all can think of a lot of people that are rich and not happy, you know, or or a lot of people that have powerful jobs, but probably wouldn't say that they they feel fulfilled and 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 happy and successful as a human being. So, you know, I think it has nothing to do with external scoreboards and external markers. I think it probably has. It's it's who can who can land as close as they can to the internal discipline or like the internal standard that they that they set themselves. And I think if you can do that, mm. then you got a shot at feeling successful. Hamish, thank you so much. As we say, we know you are very busy, and I think um, this has been a very nice chat to have when the world is oh, very thanks. weird because I feel much lighter for having had it. So thank you oh, so good. much. And I also just realised my definition of success. You can, I guess, what I'm saying is you can totally rig it, have very low standards, and then just meet them. Well, I'm a success. This sounds like when industries are allowed to self-regulate. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Hamish Blake. For more from Hamish, you can find him on Instagram, where basically all of Australia follows him anyway, at Hamish Blake Shots. Shots with a Z, of course. Oh, and you can obviously catch his podcast, Hamish and Andy, on all good podcast apps. If you loved this chat, we recommend you actually go back through our feed and listen to our interview with Hamish's equally impressive wife, Zoe. I will also pop the link to that chat in our show notes. She was incredible back in January. As for us, if this is your first time listening to Shameless, we are an independent pop culture podcast. We put out episodes every Monday and Thursday. We also have a monthly book club episode too. If you would like to keep up to date with us, please click the follow button on Spotify. You can also find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Thank you so much, guys. We'll be back in your ears on Monday. Bye. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to... To our show, please do head to your favorite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.